Welcome to Necessary Rebels. I'm Sandra, your host. This is a podcast series amplifying raw human stories, tackling racism and inequalities in life and in work. Do you want to know how to be actively anti-racist? Do you want advice on challenging racism? Do you know how to have those uncomfortable conversations? Then lean in and join me. Whether you're in the USA or the UK, we know that change is happening. So why not come along and be part of that change? Mira, welcome to Necessary Rebels. We have been trying to get together for a few weeks now, haven't we? Yeah, I think we have, definitely. But <laughs> glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's okay. I know you because we've been doing some work together with my job and you've come to run some sessions around menopause for our Women of Color Progression Network. And those conversations have been, they've just been so powerful, haven't they? Oh, they really, really have. It was a amazing how well attended it was. And that just showed me, you know, because you sometimes work in isolation, it just showed me how important menopause and the conversation about menopause for women in colour, you know, for, for, for every woman, but I think in particular for women of colour, how important this conversation has become. So it was definitely totally empowering. Absolutely. So before we get started, why don't you tell our audience who you are and what you do? Okay, so my name is Mira Bogle and I run a company called Mira's Made from Scratch. And we actually work with people that want to achieve optimal health. And generally, we tend to work with people who have conditions such as IBS, irritable bowel syndrome or polycystic ovaries. So there seems to be some sort of a condition that brings them to us. And we uh, have a holistic approach using a team of experts that I work with to really try and get to the bottom of what's going on and then work internally to really help them achieve achieve optimal health. But my real passion and area of expertise, which has only really uh, come to fruition in the last sort of two and a half to three years, is around menopause and in particular raising awareness about menopause amongst the South Asian community, because I am Indian, um, but also for all women and women of colour. So that has been my total passion and I've created and devised my own program which has now seen 50 women go through the program and they've all seen significant differences in their uh, overall health during menopause as well so I'm, I'm super super proud of that but that's my passion and that's me. Wow thank you so much for that. I guess we might as well just kickstart this right so I've shared this story before and I think I might have shared it in the, the network so I'm in my 40s me and my husband, we were at a party uh, very recently and I started to feel hot, but I have been having a lot of conversations about menopause because, you know, I have a womb and I am very, very much likely to go through menopause. And I said to him, oh, I'm feeling really hot. And he said, he said, babe, everyone's hot. We're, we're at a party and everyone's, everyone's hot. You know, it was just really, really funny because I'm kind of like anticipating what's to come because I keep having these conversations and I want to be prepared in my body and in my mind about what's to come. And I've heard, I've heard the stories, you know, one of my very good friends said, it's 10 years, Sandra, 10 years, 10 years. So that, that really scares me. 
Yeah, 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 no, no. The story that you said is so funny because I, I remember as well being in a restaurant, exactly the same thing. And I would look around me, but I'd suddenly, suddenly have this surge of heat going, oh my God, it's really hot, it's really hot. My upper lip would go, you know, a little bit sweaty and it, or nothing, nothing pleasant at all. And I'm sure it didn't look very pleasant. But I would have to ask my friend, anybody else hot? And they'd go, yeah, it's really hot. And you know, I'd go, oh, thank God. Okay, it's not me. But it was exactly the same conversation. So it's really interesting that we have this conception and this idea that that is kind of one of the symptoms, that's how it's going to be. And also this fear that you're voicing right now, which is which is real. It's a real fear. People are really scared because it's the unknown. One of my things, one of my missions, one of my aims is that if we can raise awareness with factual educational guidance and make it okay to talk about it, to discuss it, then we remove the fear because then there is no unknown and we're kind of going down charted territory, shall we say. Okay, so I I need to hear this. So tell me your menopause story. So what was it like for you when you started to go through it? And, and, And also, because this is what I learned in our talk as well around perimenopause, the kind of earlier stage of menopause. So there's, yeah, you know, just talk me through it as if I don't know anything. Okay, no worries at all. So let's go into the menopause thing first. So menopause is a is an umbrella term that we all seem to use to talk about this change that is happening and it will happen to every woman. So it's literally going from a fertile state to an infertile state. And that can be naturally, as in, you know, it's a natural process that happens. Your body does that naturally. And it happens to, you know, most mammals, as it were, I believe. But it's also something that can be forced upon you if you are going through particular types of treatments for cancer and and you've had um, your uterus removed and things like that. So there are other conditions that would force that process to to happen. So we're talking about the kind of natural process that is uh, can be split into three. So we've got something called perimenopause, which is can last anything up to 10 years. And during this time, you can still become pregnant. You will still have periods, but there will be a whole host of symptoms that would kind of let you know that you were going through it. And this can start anywhere in your late 30s. Most likely it's in your kind of early to mid 40s. And as I said, it can last about 10 years. The next stage, which is actually only 12 months, and it's 12 months without any menstrual cycle, without any bleeding at all or period, that 12 months is called menopause. The day after that, you are postmenopausal. But all of that, so you have no periods at all after that, and you cannot become pregnant after that. Okay, so that's you're, you're no longer ovulating, you're no longer producing any eggs or having a period. The misconception is that that you would have certain symptoms at certain times, and once you're postmenopausal, you don't get any symptoms at all. That is a complete myth. So you could start off with no symptoms. So one in four women have no symptoms whatsoever, and they breeze through it. Uh, maybe the odd hot flash or maybe a little bit of, you know, vaginal dryness or something, but actually they just go through it like a breeze. They don't even notice anything. One in four have debilitating symptoms to the point where they need a lot of support and perhaps medication. I'm not just talking about HRT, but kind of really, you know, that it becomes quite critical and their way of life completely has to change. But for the rest of us, so that's half, we will suffer, we will have some kind of symptoms that will mean that we will need to make some lifestyle changes to help us to adapt to the new you as it's happening. Because it is called the change for a reason. It is a change. Your body is changing from a fertile to a non-fertile state. So that's kind of 
a real quick synopsis of, of, of menopause. But the symptoms, there are about, at the moment, there are about 37 to 40 recorded symptoms. But believe me, even working with the 50 women that I've worked with, there are symptoms on there that there are symptoms that I've seen that are not on that list. And, you know, uh, things like dental movement of your teeth and dry eyes and itchy skin and there are certain other things that that are on there that just perhaps aren't mentioned so often we just consider that I think everybody just goes to the go-to of hot flushes right you know women getting slightly older and getting all hot and sweaty and, and and irritable and a bit more grumpy and moody but there are some really serious symptoms that can be really really debilitating as well so I'm hoping that's kind of helped with the, the understanding of, of menopause. Was that all right? It's definitely helped with the understanding, but it's also freaked me the hell out. Okay. Like the list, the list is the list, right? And then you mentioned vaginal dryness. I'm just like, you know, are these, and, and I know you're saying, you know, not, not all women are going to have these symptoms and, and, and women do go through menopause in very different ways. Right. So no two women is alike. There are commonalities, though, Sandra. They, you know, there are definitely commonalities between all of them, between all of us, but we go through it slightly uniquely. Yeah, yeah. It's still pretty daunting, though, Mira. I'm still a little bit... Okay. So, <laughs> suppose what, I think the thing to think about is if we relate it to when we started puberty and we started our periods, you know, and now for us as women, kind of periods are something that just happen. It's kind of, we, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are issues with that as well, but it's something that we know about, something that we've learned about and we're exposed to. And the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes, the more kind of normal it becomes. Having said this, there's so much that we can do. So it's not a case of like, trying to put the fear of God, you know, fear of God into all of us. There is a lot that we can actually do do about it. So with me, I started when I, if I look back now, Sandra, and at that time, it really, I was terrified. I was scared because I was 40. I just turned 40. I remember celebrating my 40th birthday. And I remember looking in the mirror and seeing this sort of really, really thin hair around the front of my hairline, really thin. And I just was like, wow, where did that come from? I, I'm, I, I didn't realise I was losing hair. Why am I losing hair? That was the start. And then it sort of just progressed into different things. So that all these symptoms were happening. They were all individual symptoms. So, for example, hair loss. So I would deal with hair loss. I went to the hair. My hairdresser was brilliant. I went to a trichologist. I, I got support through that. And, uh, and touch wood right now, I, many, many years, what is it now? I'm 54 in a few months. Many years on now, i am got a whole head of hair. It's absolutely brilliant. But at the time, it was devastating. I then went through anxiety. I started getting anxiety and palpitations. Absolutely no idea why. My doctor would thought it was best to give me antidepressants. I didn't take them because I didn't feel that that was the right thing. Not because there was something wrong with taking them, but it just didn't feel right for me. I then started to get joint pains. I then was getting itchy skin, movement issues, you know, just a lot of, and, and brain fog. Oh, I mean, brain fog was awful. So all of these to the point where I actually stopped reading because I was scared to read things because I couldn't remember what I'd read. I was losing a bit of confidence, getting really, really down and really low. I'm fortunate I have a wonderful family. If you add into all of that, the South Asian element where I'm asking my, my relatives, my mum, I'm looking around me to the older generation and no one can remember anything. No one went through it, apparently. I was feeling very, very alone. And it was really only through research, through my husband being there for me, where 
he was encouraging me, he's a pharmacist, so he encouraged me to do some research. And I really, really started to dig down deep. And my yoga teacher said to me, could you be going through menopause? I was like, what on earth is that? And started to really dig down. And I found a few little bits and pieces that actually helped me to put these symptoms together under one umbrella. And then I realized I was going through perimenopause. But at that time, I didn't want to go to, onto HRT because I'd heard all these horror stories about HRT. And again, there wasn't enough research on women of color. There wasn't enough information about me as a woman of color going through menopause, let alone anybody else, you know, going through menopause. Everything was very male orientated or it had been tested on animals or whatever. You know, it just wasn't, there wasn't enough. So I then went down the holistic road and looked at food, looked at diet, looked at lifestyle to try and really help balance and get 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 to grips a little bit with well, all these changes that were happening to me. But like I said, it was a very, very lonely path because some of my friends who are, who are, you know, who are white, they weren't going, they were going through it, but it was all kind of a little bit different. But for me, just, I was, I think that sense of isolation, it really, really did get me quite down. And I really did have to fight for that, which is kind of why I'm in the space I'm in now. Wow. So you mentioned brain fog. Mm-hmm. You mentioned did you did you decide you weren't going to take HRT? And and yeah, what was the kind of real deciding factor? Because HRT comes up a lot, right? That's the real worry for people right. around HRT because of the you know because of what we heard about HRT linked to cancer, and I guess people still feel like that's there's still this link. I'm sure there's a lot of false information about HRT, but you you decided you weren't going to go down that route. And is there a reason why? Yeah. So HRT, if I knew now, if I knew now what I knew then, I would have considered HRT and probably I would have taken it. If I need to take it today, I will take it. I feel very confident, very comfortable in the knowledge that I now have about HRT and the fact that research that was done on HRT was misrepresented. There were bits of information that were taken out of the study and were were kind of presented to the population, which were incorrect in the sense that uh, that wasn't the full picture. So the reason I didn't take HRT at the time was twofold. One, because of the belief I had, like many women I speak to today, that there was more risk of, you know, uh, cancer, of disease, of obesity, you get fat if you take HRT, you know, all those things that we all hear. And also because at that time it was made from horse urine and I wasn't going to be taking horse urine. And also there was no research that I could find or even a blog or, or anything that I could find where I could approach or find out more about women of colour or South Asian women and HRT. So there was no information out there that made me feel comfortable or confident in my decision to take HRT or understand what it was. So that's why I didn't take it. However, having said that, like I say very strongly now, if I need to take it now, if I feel now that I, 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 I need to take up to HRT, I would definitely do so. If I knew now what I knew then, I would definitely have taken it because I think my symptoms at the time were, were so, you know, they were so debilitating. I had to really shift things and change things. You talked about brain frog, Sandra. I don't know, you know, if you know anybody that suffered with it, but mine was to a point where I literally had to, st- I, I run a business 
and I have 45 staff and uh, there's another business that I run which is uh, Oakley uh, which is running uh, childcare so I've got a team that's been established now we've been doing this for about 20 years and I have a team of 45 I lead that team I was heavily involved in that team on a daily basis but I, I you know there were certain things that were happening to me one of them brain fog where I was struggling to deliver my role because I couldn't read emails I'd read I'm an avid reader and I would literally get to a point where I was reading three or four lines and then I'd just think what have I just read what was that oh god okay and I thought I had onset of Alzheimer's or dementia because I couldn't remember I couldn't finish sentences I couldn't remember people what I was going to say the words were in my head but I couldn't get them out that can be really 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 frightening so there are certain things and that happen to us where you start to think that you are really sick, you're really unwell, or it's the beginning of some kind of terrible disease. And actually, when you then realise that this is all because the estrogen, progesterone and testosterone in your bodies, those sex hormones are changing, that is what is leading to your brain changing, as well as pretty much every other aspect of your body changing. Once you start to understand that, then you learn how you can start to change it that then is when your journey begins to be able to manage your symptoms better. But it's never, it should never, ever be about either HRT or a holistic approach. HRT should be a hormone replacement therapy, should be a tool in your toolbox, should you wish to use it. So that's what's really, really important to get across. HRT is is, is not you know, the, the myths about HRT and increased risk in breast cancer, myths about HRT and increased risk of becoming fat or getting diseases or whatever it may be. Uh, I think there's still a lot of research to be done on HRT and women of colour. I think there's still a lot more of a dialogue to be had about that. And that I'm definitely convinced that that has to happen. But still, I would still say for us all, we should consider it, definitely. Thank you for that. Yeah, you, you're right. I have heard lots of women talk about brain fog. And I guess the other thing I've heard lots of women talk about, especially women of color, is about the experience. So going to see a GP and trying to explain these symptoms and then being ignored or not taken seriously or, you know, they think it's all in your head, kind of, you know, getting that response from GPs. So I think, you know, there's still there's still health inequalities, even in women dealing with menopause, where they're not being taken seriously. Did you feel any of that when you were going through it? Did you feel like you were being listened to? You were being heard? There are huge inequalities, huge. And I think what we tend to do, what GPs in the medical profession tend to do, and I, I'm not disrespecting GPs or anybody in the medical profession because I think they work extremely hard. Many that I've come across work extremely hard. And I'm sure they're under a lot of pressure. However, they they really only can work with the information that they're given and the research that they're, that they're given and perhaps the dialogues that they're involved with with other professionals within their fields and things. And I think the inequality rises from the assumption that because you are of a particular ethnicity, this is what's going to happen to you. Your trajectory is this. You're going to be diabetic, going to have a thyroid issue. You're going to be, you know, all of this is that kind of assumption that that's what's going to happen. So, well, yeah, yeah, but you're of... You're a woman of colour, so obviously, you know, you're South Asian, so you're going to have, you're going to be diabetic. Uh, no, or, you know, this is going to happen to you because you are a woman of colour. That needs to stop. And we need to be looked at as individual women, for starters, and then our culture and our ethnicity needs to be brought into that. 
but not as an assumption of where we're going and what's happening to us in our lives. And I also feel that the circumstances around our family life, the way we live our lives, our own cultural beliefs, all of those should be taken into consideration as well. And I don't think they really are when, you know, when we get that GP appointment, you know, I don't think, I mean, I can't, I don't know. I haven't come across in my lifetime a GP that would look at me and think of me in that way. So, yeah, I did feel, uh, I, I did feel like, I mean, I just felt completely misunderstood. I felt like I, I was trying to be palmed off with, you know, with, with just like, well, have antidepressants or take ibuprofen if you've got joint pain. But I now look back and I realise, and also with the research that I've done and, you know, all the awareness that I've now kind of been involved in, is that actually in the, within the medical profession, menopause is not um, something that is taught at all. That is changing. However, it is not mandatory. It's not part of their their kind of syllabus to learn about uh, menopause. So a lot of GPs and a lot of practitioners don't know, uh, nurses don't know about menopause. They don't understand the, the kind of medical side of things, which sounds really strange. So the ones who do are the ones who have actually taken an interest in continued professional development and actually sought to educate themselves about it. And those are few and far between. So, you know, in one way, we go to the GP. So there's kind of, if you can see, it's like a, it's like a sequence of events that's leading to the, that sort of misdiagnosis, as it were. You know, first of all, as a woman, you may not know that you're, that's what you're going through because you haven't joined the dots yourself and you don't know about it. Secondly, you then go to a, a general practitioner who hasn't got a clue either. So they're not joining the dots and they're treating each of your symptoms, but not looking at it in a holistic way. You then will get the wrong medication and you're going to feel no better than when you were when you joined and you can't understand what's going wrong. That in itself can lead to the diseases such as diabetes, obesity, high, you know, heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, all of those things, and osteoporosis, things like that. So that's really where uh, the change needs to happen. And it is happening, but it's happening extremely slowly. And it's, it's happening, um, again, you know, a few people that I know as well who are in that same space where we are pushing and pushing and pushing for our voice, women of colour, our voice to be heard at the onset. So it should not be about just a particular ethnicity or this other, but we need to be involved in this conversation. We need to have our experiences heard so that it can then influence policy. So, you know, I think that's that's really important, influence what education GPs and doctors are getting, influence the schools and the education that they're giving in schools, influence community centres so that we are able to reach the communities that, you know, aren't able to get to the GP or aren't don't have the voice. That's what's really important as well. Thank you so much for that. That was really, really helpful. And I think people listening to that will find a lot of that really helpful, I guess. The other question for me is, so say, for example, I walk into a GP and I say, look, these are the problems that I'm having, and I believe they're associated with menopause, but I'm not being heard. What should my next step be? What would you suggest I do next? I've heard people say things around a menopause clinic, or you might need to find a specialist menopause GP, or I don't know, a, a specialist. What, what should I do next, I guess? 
I think, you know, the thing to the thing that I have seen change in the last few weeks, actually, so it's not even months or years, in the last few weeks, is that GPs seem to be becoming a lot more attentive. So I've spoken to about probably in the last uh, two weeks, I've spoken to about 10 women and their stories are slightly different now to the women that I've been hearing for the last three years. So still, don't get me wrong, that's a very, very small percentage. But I think what's happening is with the awareness that is being sort of put out into the public domain a little bit more than it ever has been, I think GPs uh, and medical practitioners are becoming slightly more aware. So I'm hearing, the stories I'm now hearing are that I've been to my GP and they're giving me a blood test. So I think the key thing to do is to go to your GP with the information all in hand and present it to them, which sounds bizarre because actually kind of you're doing the work for them. But I think what you need to do is what the GPs will be considering and looking at is your age. Okay, so they'll be looking to see how old you are. They'll also be looking for kind of that right terminology. So using the right terminology is important. So using terms like perimenopause, menopause or postmenopause, when you're describing what phase of menopause you're going through will be important. And also making a list of those symptoms and when you have experienced them will also be important. So you present it to your GP. Now, if the GP refuses to have a look, you are well within your rights to ask them to refer you to a specialist, to a, to a, a menopause specialist. And they may say to you, uh, <laughs> they are few and far between, that they don't have access to one within their practice. And that is the reality of where we're at. Sadly, the other option is to then go to a specialist, which may be private. And that's, again, that's not good enough because that's not, you know, that's not accessible to everybody. So it may be that what you need to do is they should be able to refer you to another uh, another area, uh, another borough even maybe, but you should be able to see somebody who is able to help you with your with your menopause. But as I'm saying right now, what I'm hearing a lot more of is that the GPs are becoming a lot more receptive to saying, okay, right, you know, I can see you, I hear this, right? So why don't we consider taking HRT? But that is kind of where they're at. So that they don't have any uh, any more information about how holistically you can uh, approach it, how you can change it holistically. Seems to be just kind of like, great, let's do a blood test, which isn't the most efficient way of finding out if, if you're going through perimenopause, particularly because your hormone levels are fluctuating all the time. So at the point at which you have your blood test, if you're having a day when your hormones are all hunky-dory and everything's fine, it won't look like you're going through perimenopause or any change. So a blood test isn't the most efficient way of having that read. It really is much more effective to look at your age. So so if you're in your very late 30s, early 40s, um, uh, you know, and those list of symptoms are there, you could very well be. The thing that I would suggest that they should be able to do for you is to definitely do a blood test to rule out things like thyroid issues. Yeah. So having a blood test to rule out other conditions which can look very similar to menopause, such as uh, thyroid issues, that's an important thing to do. But don't give up. You've got to keep going. Uh, and also reaching out to people like myself. There are so many other kind of apps out there as well that will help you, you know, to, to get a, a list of your symptoms together. We do that as well. But reaching out to people who will be able to speak to you, even if it's for a short time, to give you free resources. So, you know, get those resources, talk to someone, and then make sure you don't give up on that GP. You've, you have a right to demand to be looked at and to be given a fair amount of time to be treated for what you're presenting with. 
Yes, you're absolutely right. Well, I know when I'm ready, I'm going to be loud. So I feel sorry for any GP who steps in my way. Because <laughs> I am definitely going to be like, uh-uh, I need to get what I'm owed. So um, give me what I need. I guess the other thing for me as well is what can our partners do? Like if you're married, what are, you, what are your husbands doing in this process? What was their role? Yeah, And I guess that's pretty much linked to your managers and people that you work with as well. Like what could, how can other people support you in that when you're going through this? What does that support look like, I guess? Mm, that's a really interesting question. So again, talking from a South Asian perspective and having spoken to women of color, predominantly really, what I've found is that it's a real taboo. Okay, so it's a taboo within our community to even speak about it, to even know about it. In in the South Asian community, there isn't even a word for it. So, you know, you have, where do you start? How do you even start with that conversation? It's difficult. It's really, really difficult because you may be the one breaking the mold. You may be the one sticking your kind of neck out there and doing something for the first time. But, but it's important because... Again, what I've seen is relationships that have broken down or nearly broken down. I've seen women leave work. Uh, quite a few of the women who've been on uh, on my program have actually been in a state where they're so low because nobody at work is understanding what they're going through. No one at home is understanding what they're going through and they don't know how to start that conversation and they're really struggling. And I think the way to start it is is with educating yourself. So if you are armed with that knowledge, you can then begin to have that dialogue which says, this is something that's going to happen to me. It's happening to every woman. And it's literally this change from a fertile to a non-fertile state. But, you know, obviously you're not going to be perhaps using that terminology. You've got to word it in a way that you're, you're going to be able to be engaged with your partner or with your work colleagues. They are slightly different. How you communicate with your family and your work and your work colleagues are going to be slightly different. But if I sort of start with partners and family, I think it's more about you and not about them. So if you are saying something to them they are feeling uncomfortable with, don't worry about what they're feeling. You've got to do this for you. So for me, it was really important to say to my mum, this is what I'm going through. This is what's happening to me. Did you go through this? And she'd be like, no, 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 absolutely didn't. You know, now, kind of two and a half years on after I've kind of, you know, I was, I've been in the Telegraph. I mean, she can't get away from where I am now. I'm, I'm all over the place. She now says to me, oh, yeah, no, I sort of remember it, but I don't remember it happening so much to me. And I remember your aunt going through it. And she did really suffer quite badly. I'm suddenly thinking, where were you 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I needed to hear this. But she did, She wasn't comfortable. She would say to me, Mira, don't talk about these things. This is not the right thing to talk about. I had a younger person in my family say to me, Mira, why do you talk about these things? You know, just change the name of your program. Why is it called Don't Pause for Menopause? Change it because then more people will be engaged. And I said, no, I'm really sorry. This, this isn't my issue. Your, that's your issue. My issue is I'm happy talking about this. So become comfortable to talk about it. Become comfortable about not being, not pleasing others and worrying about what they're thinking. But please do include your partners. Please do include your children if you have them. Include your your mum or your dad or whoever may be around, even if it's uncomfortable for them. Because actually they can help you. They can really help you. And a lot of men that I speak to, including my husband, Harry, has said that for him, he was terrified 
because he didn't know what was happening to me. This woman that he had married, this person, this his best friend, and he's my best friend, suddenly was turning to this, that he didn't recognize who I was. And it got to a point, he said this, and we've done an Instagram live on this, where he actually said, he said, I didn't know who I was coming home to. I didn't know who it would be, whether it would be the mirror that I knew, or whether it'd be a, a really anxious mirror, or it would be somebody who was angry, or he just didn't know. And, and that was really insightful for me to know that please do talk to your partners please do talk to your children and you know your family and friends in terms of workplace Sandra again the other thing I I've noticed is that I've been to a couple of workplaces and I have to say with yours when I with your workplace and and when we did that discussion uh it was wonderful because everyone was engaged everyone was keen to learn and that like I said it was so well attended I visited a workplace the other day and it was for a different a different thing. I was talking about food and, and productivity and how we can kind of eat to, to, to kind of remove that slump in our day and how food helps that. And I said, you know, I, uh, I specialize in, in menopause. And the lady said, oh, no, we don't, you know, we don't need that here. I was like, okay, why is that? Well, there's only sort of four of us and we're all four or five of us in the group. And this is about 20, this global organization, but... There's only four or five of us in here, and, and actually, we're all sort of like, mm, we're probably not of that age. And I went, what age is that? She said, well, you know, we're kind of like probably like I said mid thirties. I said, yeah, that's when it starts. Oh, okay. And I said, what about the the guys that are with you? What about their mums, their wives, their girlfriends, their partners, their children who may be girls? I don't know any of them. She was like, oh, right. When I started the talk, I said. I specialize in talking uh, in menopause. And and one of the guys said to me, my mum's going through that at the moment. Oh, it's really difficult at home. And that really kind of, she looked at me, the girl who'd said it, who was one of the, the, the HR people. And she looked at me and she just was like, she just smiled. And I said, there you go. I said, that's exactly my point. It's important to bring menopause to the forefront at work. Menopausal women, women menopausal women are going to be the highest demographic it's the highest growth within the population who are going to be at work so you know and if we consider that recruitment is costly it is much more cost effective to actually invest in your workforce that are there that are loyal uh, that have been there perhaps for a long time quite often you'll find that that's kind of people see that as a natural progression oh we work for so long and then we just kind of give up work actually the reason why many women are giving up work is because they don't have the support that they need Uh, they could they could do the job if they just were given the support they need so it's really important to get education and information out there we run a menopause at work program both the the programs that i run are going we're we're actually currently getting them accredited uh, for cpd so that you know we can actually help organizations not just to help themselves but to also help all their employees and hopefully filter that through to home as well to home life so talking about it is huge and education is huge that's really, really fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information. And we, we're, we're running out of time because we haven't even gotten into kind of lifestyle choices. And But all of this information can be found on your website and you run a menopause group, don't you? So yeah, do tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find more information as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra. And I, it's been so lovely speaking to you, but thank you so much for giving me this platform to 
get my passion across and kind of keep raising awareness. So I have a website called Mirrors Made From Scratch and that's uh, .co.uk. And we have a section on there which is actually dedicated to menopause. And you'll find a lot of free resources on there. You'll find links to podcasts that I've done with guest speakers, but also on my own. You'll also find little fact sheets as well. You'll find a kind of symptom checker. And you'll also find links to other useful places such as the Balance app and other useful websites as well, like Stella uh, and things like that. I also run a, a program on there as well, which runs every about three to four times a year. And that's for individual women, but we, we run it as a group. And we have a community as well, where we do a lot of things uh, to support women, you know, once they've been on that program. We also run a menopause uh, at work program too. So there's information about that on there. But you can find us, you know, like I said, the, the free resources, all of that is available to you. So please do use them. And if you want any other information, I am more than happy. I will reach out to individuals as well. So please email me. You can email me at hello at mirrorsmadefromscratch.co.uk. So please just email me and I will be really happy to answer any questions that you have as well. I am your student today. So thank you so much. There's a lot of information that I'm going to be taking away and I'm going to be sharing this with my sisters and all of my friends because it, it is this real taboo thing that we just don't talk about it, which is really weird, I, yeah. you know. And, yeah. th- and there is something about this not being part of like our childhood education as well. Like, you know, when we talk about periods, why aren't we talking about menopause too? It's not like Absolutely. we're not going to have that. No, and it's just started to come into the into schools. Mm. So it is, it is getting out there. Can I just also say, just in case anybody's on Instagram, I am on Instagram as well, in case anybody likes Instagram, you can either find me as Mira Bogle on Instagram, which is, kind of more me and my lifestyle and menopause and stuff. But there's also Mirrors Made From Scratch where we talk about different kind of factual stuff as well. But it's going to change. I can see it. It it is going to change. Um, It's because of people like yourself who are giving us a platform, giving me a platform to kind of voice and share this information that's going to bring about the change. So you're part of it, Sandra. This is, it's amazing. Thank you. I hope so. I'm learning. I'm learning myself. I'm getting myself ready. Um, I want to have all of the knowledge that I need to get me through it. So thank you so much. And you're helping me to do that. I appreciate you taking your time, Mira. You've dropped a lot of gems here for people to take away. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and on Instagram at necessary underscore rebels underscore pod. This was an II Studios production. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and give us any feedback as we're always trying to be better. And stay tuned for our next episode.